Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. Boy, this is one of these passages. We're still in Colossians, by the way. We're still in Colossians. We're at the end of the series about Colossians, uh, which has been called Reconciled Life, learning how to be reconciled with Christ. And this is one of those passages that gets preachers in trouble. It's one of those that we like to skip. And um, I, I really thought about skipping it, too. I thought about bailing last week on a high note and just saying, well, we'll just the rest of Colossians we don't have to worry about. But we're going to talk about it. And uh, just remember something. Context matters a lot. Context is a big deal in Scripture because uh, without context, uh, people go in a lot of different ways. And there have been people that have been enormously hurt over the years by folks who wield Colossians 3 against them in a way that just hurts. Many people have been worn down by this passage. Um, Maybe y'all have seen the, the, uh, the commercial lately. It's for some cell phone service. Oh, I can't keep them straight. I don't know. But uh, this lady is calling her girlfriend on the phone and asking about this party that they've been invited to. And so she says, well, what do I need to wear? And the girlfriend says, oh, don't, just wear something not too crazy. Remember, it's a business dinner, not a costume party. But her phone keeps cutting out on her. So what the lady hears is, just wear something crazy. Remember, it's a costume party. And so, you know, the lady shows up in this wacky costume at this business dinner, and she's embarrassed. And they say, oh, this wouldn't have happened to her if she was on our cell phone network, which, who are we kidding? This happens on every cell phone network. But anyway, that's the point of the, the commercial, is that if you just take parts of the sentence and scramble them all together... You can come up with some wacky stuff. And people do that with Scripture, too. People take just little chunks of Scripture out, and they say, well, this is what the Bible says, blah, 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 blah. But there's some things before that, and there's some things after that that actually matter, that affect the meaning of what you're saying. And so we have to, just like this commercial, we have to look at the bigger picture of what's going on in the world during this time. We have to look at what, you know, the rest of the Bible says too, and then we can find the meaning of the, the, the scripture. All right, so that's enough caveats. Let's read it. We're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 6. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You see how this gets preachers in trouble a lot? Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it, as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. 
for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray over us as well, that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we're often our worst selves around the people that are closest to us? Have you ever noticed that, that people are often the meanest and the harshest and the least grace-filled toward their own family, the people that we're supposed to be loving the most? Why do you suppose that is? I mean, there's a lot of reasons. You're around these people the most. You're, you get used to their worst parts. They, you see more of them than you see other people. And sometimes you forget the fact that you are supposed to love them the most because they also happen to be the people that annoy you the most. Man, I experienced this yesterday because the three people that I love the most in the world, three of them anyway, my dear children got up at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday. Dad, can we go to the donut shop? No! Go to bed! It's Saturday! Dad, I don't know the password to the tablet. I don't care! Right? They're over here laughing because they know it was, it was bad. And my precious, lovely children, all day long, I was just annoyed. So I was not my best self around the people that I love the most just yesterday after having prepared this sermon. It just happens. But being reconciled to Christ isn't just a me and Jesus thing. I can't say that I'm reconciled to Christ and then have that not come out in my other relationships too. It's got, my, my reconciliation with Christ has got to matter inside of my relationships. And that starts at home. And Paul knows that. That's why he's writing about these households in here. And so he's getting into, you know, all of these things. The whole rest of the book has been about you're reconciled with Christ. Christ has done all these things for you. He's supreme and he loves you and he's given himself for you. And he is, he's giving you this fullness of life and he's given you these rules to live by. But really that frees you up to, to live the good life. And that has to start somewhere and it starts at home where we are the most tempted to forget. And so he's going through these, these guidelines for Christian households. Now, I want to tell you about a little bit about the way households were structured in Rome. Rome was extremely patriarchal, right? So the man of the household, the paterfamilias, there's a great line that I can't say in church from O Brother Where Art Thou about the paterfamilias, but if you've seen that movie, you might remember that. I like to say it at home sometimes. Uh, but, you know, I, the paterfamilias, the, the person who is in charge, the man, has, has complete authority in the house. So his wife is treated like his property. She has to go along with what he says. The children are treated as property. They're kids. They need to listen and not be heard, and it's a very harsh kind of thing. 
And of course, they, they had slavery in those days, and slaves were considered a part of the household, and they were utterly bound to what the master said. The, the, the paterfamilias, the head of the household, the man was the last, the first and last authority in the household. And so a lot of Christians read into this scripture and, and they see that. And, and the, the thing about it is, I think if Paul had wanted that to continue, he would have just said, no notes. <laughs> keep on. Keep on doing what you're doing. But instead, he subverts these Roman household agendas, these Roman household guidelines, and he brings mutuality into them. It's amazing how he does it. And so he is, not, he, he is using these Roman household codes as a starting place, but then he is amending them in ways that they would have found completely baffling and controversial. So he starts off by saying, wives, be subject to your husbands. Many, many uh, translations say, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So a lot of times people just say, all right, wives, submit to your husbands. Bam, you got to submit to me. Sarah Beth, good news. You got to submit to me all the time. I say it, it goes, right? And, and so that's a lot of times. But, but the people that say that almost never think about the next verse, which is husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. And so... In the Roman times, Romans' husbands had the right to treat their wives as harshly as they wanted to. It didn't matter. It was up to them. But, but God is saying, no, no, no. Wives, you have a responsibility to your husbands. Husbands, you have a responsibility to your wives as well. In our other letters, Paul says for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Well, we know how Christ loved the church, right? By giving everything to the church by dying for them. And so there's this, this thing about it is these women are being raised up. They're saying, in, in just in the last chapter, he said there is no, there is no partiality. There's, uh, he says, in Christ, there's no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So he has raised up, the, the playing field for everybody to be equal. Of course, in Ephesians, we know he says there is neither male nor female, slave nor free. So he is, he's giving this equal playing field to the wives and the husbands and then telling them, in Christ, you're all equal. So this is how that plays out in a Roman household. And so this mutuality comes forth where, where women, they don't, they don't say, well, if I'm equal to my husband, then I ought to be able to be in charge. And I'm the one. That... So, so wives aren't overthrowing the husband's authority. They're becoming equal. So they still have a role of submissive, submissiveness. They have, still have a role of, of, of respecting their husbands in this way. But husbands have the bigger responsibility here to love in a self-sacrificial manner. And to never treat their wives harshly. Because 
while Paul is telling the women they don't need to overthrow and revolt against their husbands, he's telling the husbands, you don't need to give them a reason to want to revolt and overthrow you. Think about this. Forced submission isn't submission, right? You don't say, if, if, if I'm being forced to submit to you, that's just domination at that point. Submission has got to be voluntary. And so Paul is, is, is taking these rules and he's turning them on their heads. And he's giving them this, this saying, this, this way of existing within this patriarchal system that they live in that is totally subverting the patriarchal systems by giving the husbands the burden of acting like no other Roman husbands do so that the Roman Christian wives are able to act in a, in a submissive manner that doesn't need to be overthrown. Husbands are loving their wives as Christ loves the church, which means that if anybody is toppling the patriarchy in the Christian household, it ought to be the husbands. I don't think this verse is meant to support patriarchy. It's shifting the burden of overcoming patriarchy to the man and not the woman. And Paul's saying these women ought not have to fight you to have equal rights. They've got equal rights under the Lord. And so you need to treat them that way. It's the men that are not being patriarchal so that the women don't have to fight them about it. It's crazy how Paul is, is creating this harmonious home life where people are submitting to each other. The problem is that... that Christians often spend so much time worrying about who needs to be in control in the home, who needs to be on top of this pyramid of authority in the home, that we forget about loving each other, that we forget about actually serving Christ, that we forget about actually doing the good things God has called us to because we're too worried about, well, am I in charge or is she in charge? Am I doing too much? Is she doing too little? What if we just loved each other like Christ loves the church in an equal playing field? What if the husbands were the one that voluntarily gave up the control so their wives wouldn't have to struggle against them and then we could serve the Lord and be reconciled to Christ together and move on? We spend so much wasted time worrying about authority, worrying about uh, hierarchical structures in the home when we could just be loving each other and serving God together. But it's up to the men, Paul says, to be the ones that overthrow that system. And it's the same with parents and children. Roman fathers were often very strict with their children. They didn't play with their kids or, or really take an interest in their lives because they were worried about being too soft. They had to be hard, their children, and let them grow up to be strong. And so they had this domineering way of being parents. But Paul says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this is acceptable duty to the Lord. So children aren't off the hook of obeying their parents. But then he turns around and says, fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. So he's giving the, he's saying, kids, you've got to obey your parents. But dads, don't make it so hard for them to obey you. It's okay for, for your kids to, like, have some affection from you. Don't be so domineering. Once again, it's not up to the kids to an escape the abusive situation at home. It's up for the parents to create home situations that are free from the abuse. 
That way, kids can obey their parents without having to worry about whether or not they're going to be harmed. It's amazing this mutuality that comes forward when we really look at what's being said and how it contrasts with the culture at the time. There's, there's a mutuality that, that we would have never expected, especially if all you do is pull out the verses that talk about submission. And don't look at what Paul is asking the people in power to be doing. Which brings us to this thing about masters and slaves. I mean, this, this scripture... Uh, back in the day was, was used to, uh, to excuse slavery in America. Well, Paul says it's okay, so it must be okay. I don't know. I don't think Paul really is saying that it's okay to have slaves. But if he doesn't think it's okay, why not just say, hey, guys, don't have slaves? <laughs> I feel like that would be easier. It would have been better for, like, history if Paul had just come out and said that. So I'm going to say it right now. Slavery's bad. Don't have slaves. It's, it's bad. But I think part of the reason that Paul wrote this is because there are Christians in the world right then who had slaves. And there were Christian slaves who had unchristian masters. And so what if you're a slave who is converted to Christ and you want to be following Christ with all your heart? You want to be obedient. You want to be reconciled then how are you supposed to live in this house where you know that in, under Christ you're equal to everybody else, but you're not being treated that way? Well, he writes about it. He gives them advice for how to live. Obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it. It is done for the Lord and not your masters. He gives them this context of, just serve the Lord. Just serve the Lord. And then he goes to, to slave owners who are Christians. And I, I love it. He says, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. So what's the way to treat slaves justly and fairly? Not have slaves. The only way to be just and fair to someone who is under slavery is to say, I'm going to start paying you, or you're free to do whatever you want. I mean, I just don't see any other way to do it. Just like Christian husbands were responsible for subverting the patriarchy, just like Christian parents are responsible for being the ones that aren't harsh with their children, Christian masters should have been the ones that were responsible for freeing their slaves because that is the way to be just and fair and to live out Christian ethics like this. Paul is saying, in the Christian household, the one with the most power is the one who is responsible to make sure that they're not using it, that they're sharing it with the people that has the least amount of cultural power. If you're a master and you've got slaves, it's your responsibility to lift them up into freedom. If you're a Christian husband in a patriarchal society, it's your responsibility to lift your wife up and treat her like a daughter of the king so that when she submits to you, it doesn't hurt her at all. She knows you've got her best interests at heart. If you're a Christian parent, it's your job to lift your children up so that they don't have to fear obeying you because they know that you've got their best interests at heart. A Christian household ethic is one that values other people in our lives as gifts from God. 
that doesn't take our families for granted, that has an ethic of love and of equality. And this means that all the time that we waste by arguing over who's in charge is time that we're wasting because we could be serving God instead. So Christian men ought to be the ones that don't have time for patriarchy because we're so busy loving our wives and, and treating them as our equals. Christian parents should be falling over themselves to support their children. And Christian slave owners back in those days ought to be the ones that were the abolitionists. They should go first in, being, in offering freedom and equality, being fair and just. That's why I believe that if we follow this, this um, teaching out into the modern day, it's the white Christians that ought to be the ones going against racism. Because we shouldn't, our black brothers and sisters shouldn't have to be the ones that strive and fight for equality. We should be falling all over ourselves trying to give it to them. Because the ones that are in power, in Paul's point of view, ought to be the ones that are the busiest trying to share it. Generally speaking, I think, if you're reading the Bible trying to find out how other people should be acting towards you, you're probably reading it wrong. If you're a Christian husband reading, pointing out the verses in Scripture about submission, submissive wives, then you're reading it wrong because the Christian husbands ought to be reading the passages about Christian husbands instead of the passages about Christian wives. We read the scripture in order to give us the idea of how we should be acting, not how other people should be acting toward us. Because when we're reconciled to Jesus, we know that Jesus loves those people around us just as much as he loves us. He loves them with a self-sacrificial kind of love, and it means that we ought to love them the same way. Jesus does not have time for hierarchy. He's too busy loving and sacrificing. So how are you doing with the people closest to you? Husbands, are we loving our wives like Christ loved the church? It's a pretty tall order. It's a lot. Wives, are you listening and submitting to your husbands in a way that, that brings about equality in your marriage? Are we all devoting ourselves to prayer and to thanksgiving like he instructs us to do? Because God has given us the gift of our families. And when we're reconciled to Christ, that means we're giving our best selves at home to the ones he's blessed us with. It means that we are sharing and loving and sacrificing. It's easy to sacrifice in public for strangers and get lots of accolades for it, get written up in the newspaper. It's hard to sacrifice for your family when no one's going to notice. But that's what God calls us to do. Let's be reconciled to Christ by giving our best selves to those that are closest to us. Let's pray. God, this is a hard scripture, a hard teaching. Father, I pray that you will inspire us to be our best selves to those closest to us. I pray that you will help us to be the ones that fall over ourselves 
to lift each other up rather than trying to raise ourselves up and domineer other people. God, I pray a blessing over our households, a blessing over our families, that they will be places where our children are raised to learn about your grace and your love, where we all feel valued we're all raised together in the love of Christ. Jesus, pour out your grace on us. And God, help us when we think too much of ourselves to learn to be reconciled with you. Give us the grace to give of ourselves for others. In your name I pray, amen.